This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and today we have Hank Stowers on the show. Hank is an awesome human being, and we talk about all things open slopes. We talk about what Hank's been up to as of late, talk about Hood Summers, and uh, we kind of just get into it. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. I've really enjoyed this chat, and yeah, that's pretty much it before we jump into the show. Obviously, we have some quick partners to talk about for today, one of which is Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada makes the best non-alcoholic beer, drink, whatever, in the new Hop Splash. Um, That stuff is so good like that is pretty much what i down all summer long they also have a variety of actual like actual beers um hop splash is completely non-alcoholic but they have a whole bunch of different beer products as well obviously that is what sierra nevada is known for we'll have a recap of our sierra nevada trip uh that we did a couple weeks ago toward the brewery got to kind of walk around and check out uh, it's it's insane. I can't wait to show you guys this video because it's it's really crazy to see some of the things that they have going on there. So if you're interested and you're over 21, go to SierraNevada.com and get yourself all the information you need uh, to get yourself all the best beer. You kind of get the lowdown on all the product, where you can find it, what's out when, new releases, and all that good stuff. We also have our friends at Rocky Talkie. Rocky Talkie is the best when it comes to using a backcountry radio whether you are on a mountain bike on skis on a snowboard on sleds whatever it is always good to be able to communicate with the people you need to communicate with even if you have no cell phone service rocky talkie has made that extremely easy and we couldn't be more excited to partner with them you can go to rockytalkie.com and use promo code ooc10 and that will get you 10 percent off your purchase of a set of Rocky Talkies. It's uh, it's a no-brainer. It comes with a little Mammut carabiner, and it is an essential piece of gear, especially for winter. I mean, summer too, but especially for winter, it is an excellent way to make sure that you're prepped and you have everything you need. And without further ado, here's my friend and yours, Hank Stowers. Hank, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, my name is Hank. I am a skier, um, a storyteller, and also like an advocate and organizer in snow sports spaces. Um, I use he, she, and they pronouns. I'm 28. I live in Portland, Oregon, and uh, mostly ski at Mount Hood. Okay. Let me ask you right off the bat, why why Portland? What, why are you so attached to that area? Uh, that's such a good question. Um, I've honestly been kind of like ranting about this lately to people because I went down to Salt Lake City for a little while um, for some pride events and to do some stuff with Pit Viper. And then like had some of my friends from Salt Lake City come back up here and just kind of be like, what's the deal? And I grew up in I grew up in a ski town. I grew up in Durango, Colorado, which is like, you know, it, it's a ski town more or less. Yeah. Um, and didn't really ever live in a city until here, like until I moved here. I, I lived a, a little bit outside of Denver, but um Portland has this awesome combination of like, I can drive an hour east and be skiing at Mount Hood 
um, and then I can drive an hour and a half to the west and be surfing in the Pacific Ocean. And in the middle, I don't have to do or be like connected to either one of those things. And that's honestly kind of the beauty of it is like, I love skiing and I love like being outdoors and moving my body. But I think that for me, it's like super fulfilling to be able to kind of disconnect from that when I feel like it's like wearing on me. Um, mm. And I think a lot of people who ski a lot probably empathize with feeling a little bit sure. worn down sometimes by the things that you love to do. So it's really refreshing to be able to like, I don't know, like connect with queer community here as a queer person, like connect with, I don't know, skateboarding community. Like there's a huge vibrant art scene. There's really good food. So yeah, I love it. And like, like any city, there are issues with it that I would want to change. But so far in my search for like, this is a real city with real people and culture that's like variant. And also I can go skiing. I haven't found anywhere better yet. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, it's one of my favorite. I told you I've been there, I don't know, a dozen times. And like for someone on the East Coast, I feel like that's a lot. And I I enjoy it. It's one of my favorite places to keep going back to because it's just, it's got all the things you said, right? You want to go mountain biking? Cool. You want to go skate? Cool. You want to go just like downtown and just hang out? That's cool too. Like it pretty much, it, it's very indicative, I think, of the culture there and in that like it's accepting Portland is accepting of whatever you want to do, whether that's activity wise, personality wise, who you are as a person. It's very, it feels like Portland just kind of gets it. So I guess my follow-up question is why, why does Portland get a bad rap? Because I feel like a lot of people, especially in new England, and I've heard it a bunch from people in California are like, yeah, Portland's okay, but it's kind of, it's kind of meh. You know, yeah. like, have you heard the same thing? Like, I, I don't know. No, like, totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's like, it's almost like a joke when like exactly. for people who live here, like hearing yeah. about people's <laughs> opinions of Portland from the outside, it's hilarious because the issues that we actually like, this city has problems and there are things that make it like less inviting, but it's not the things that people on the outside think. And I think like a lot of it, Frankly, a lot of it came from like the 2020 protest era and kind of the ripple effect of like both people like leaning into that and learning more about like different cultures. And then also the the backlash that it had where some people like kind of reactionarily were like, oh, like Portland has a lot of protests going on. Like it's a shithole. Stay away from there. Um, and yeah, like there are, you know, there are like measly but still slightly better policies around like homeless protections in this town than some cities like say in Texas or in the Midwest or something like that. And there's like kind of more visibility of people who are like going through it and experiencing homelessness or poverty. So I think that people like see news reports or, or drive through the interstate that passes through Portland and will say like, Oh, it looks like a dump. It looks run down. It looks dangerous or whatever. But like, I mean, I live in a walkable neighborhood where I can go get groceries and a smoothie and walk to my yoga studio and then like walk down to the riverfront and hang out at a park all day. Like it's beautiful here. Um, and people are awesome. I mean, there are people from all walks of life here yeah. and yeah, I don't know. I just don't know many other places. Like there are two, two plus million people, I believe in the Portland Metro area. And like yesterday I went rafting in the Portland Metro area and it was like a wilderness experience. And I, yeah, I just don't know a lot of other places where you can connect with both like people and nature so efficiently. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I like I like what goes on there a lot. And I, I wonder how much, and maybe you can give me some perspective on this, how much it's actually changed. And I wonder from someone who lives there, like I feel like all this negative backlash, there was stuff like people picking on Portland, I think, pre-COVID. But post-COVID, it seems like people are kind of like aggressively hating on what goes on there. How much has it actually changed post-2020 in your mind? I mean, I might honestly not be the best informant on that because I moved here in January of 2020. Okay. So I I visited here a few times prior to that, but I never lived here until like, like yeah. I moved here a few months before COVID. Um, that being said, like, the just the difference between like last summer and this summer with like the wind down of COVID and stuff, you can definitely kind of see the like the nightlife and the culture like seeping back into the city. Um, and there's a lot to do, which is pretty, pretty cool, honestly, is like spending the past two summers here, not really being sure what like what kind of events are safe to go to and just like what everybody in the world has been experiencing. But Portland responded to like the the diminishing of COVID in a way that was really exciting. There's been a bunch of like awesome nightlife and stuff. Um, so that's been the major change that I've seen is just a lot more events and spaces. I think like when people talk about like pre COVID Portland or like old Portland, a lot of it is kind of mixed up in racism. And there's like a pretty long history of white supremacy, like Oregon and Portland were founded as, as a white only place. Like it was uh, one of the last segregated towns in the United States. Um, and I think it's kind of gotten a reputation of being like a hipster yuppie kind of spot. And since like that reputation kind of faded and was replaced by like, Oh, Portland's like grungy and spooky and dangerous. Um, and I always find it funny, like the juxtaposition of the two, because like both can't really exist. Like it can't be like dangerous and run down and full of like wealthy white <laughs> whiny babies. Like which one is it? Um, but realistically, I think that like it's sometimes both and sometimes neither. Um, and like any city, you know, it's like what you make it and who you spend time around. But I think broadly, like the quality of living here is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Um, well, I'm not going to ask you just Portland questions all the time. So let me let me ask you about something that you're doing in Open Slopes. What what is Open Slopes like? Tell people what the idea is and kind of talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, totally. Um, Open Slopes is like an affinity group organization. We started we started making plans to make it happen in 2020. And the first event that we held ran in 2021. It didn't really formalize into Open Slopes until 2022. So we've kind of been doing like two year, two, we've done two full seasons of programming. And um, yeah, Open Slopes is a group that's dedicated to creating spatial change in snow sports areas. We bring people together in the name of like play, safety, and transformative joy. Um, what that looks like in like a material on the ground situation is uh, we throw parties in the city when it's not winter. And those parties are generally tailored toward like queer, black, brown, indigenous people. Um, and they are typically fundraisers for our winter sports programming. In the winter, we do fully cost-funded programs for BIPOC folks who probably have not skied or snowboarded before, maybe have once or twice, but have an interest in connecting with the sport. And um, yeah, you know, the 
one of our three organizers, there's three of us that run it. Miley O'Keefe is a previous participant and they mostly run the BIPOC programming now. Um, but yeah, in, in essence, it's basically an opportunity to connect somebody who would not have connected to snow sports elsewhere. Um, all of the instructors and mentors that we hire are also BIPOC. Um, and then the third thing that we do is we have like LGBTQ plus meetups um, on snow. Those are typically like rail jam park kind of meetups where we practice park skills. But we've also done like some backcountry ones. We've done some like intro jump building and jump hitting stuff. Um, yeah. And I think going forward, like our broad goal is to expand kind of to anybody who is underrepresented, has more barriers to access or is like marginalized or has been pushed out of snow sports spaces. We just want to like bring those people into a safe community space where they can foster their skills, um, foster their interests and also like come up with their own um, programs for community involvement. We've had some of our community members develop like uh, avalanche awareness classes and stuff that, that they've been taught to other community members. And yeah, going forward, we're just looking to expand on what we've been doing. Yeah. What, I love that. What, why is something, I mean, and I know the answer to this question, I think, but like, why, why is something like this necessary? Why does an organization like this need to kind of take up space for people? What, what is kind of the mindset there? Because I think every, and you know this, every time someone posts something about trying to make something more inclusive or bringing more people into the sport, you get that, you get multiple people commenting on a thing that's like, oh, no one's telling them they can't participate. Why do we have to hear about this shit? You know, like it's, yeah. that like happens it's just all the time. Weird. Yeah, yeah totally. exactly. It's just skiing. Like, shut the fuck up. You know, like, I don't <laughs> understand that mindset, but I, I also want to hear from you why why it's so important. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree that like, I think that that's, and honestly, that's a narrative that we are like the open slopes is combated with too. Like people will, people have reached out to us specifically to like admonish what we're doing because they feel that they're being excluded. And by people, I mean like white cis and straight people who are already members of the snow sports community. And I think that like, on one hand, I can see the perspective of feeling confused by not knowing, like, you know, not seeing acts of overt racism on the mountain or not understanding how a place where, like, most people are covering their face can be racist um, or homophobic or whatever. And I think, like, the super, super simple answer is just in the data that, like, our mountains publish. Um, I, I haven't seen the numbers for this past season yet. But the season prior to this one, 89% of all ski ticket purchasers in the 2021-2022 season were white. Um, 89%. So that means that only 11% aren't. And, you know, I think people typically meet that kind of data with like, oh, there aren't that many people of color in ski towns or like whatever. Um, and when you push deeper into those questions, like you kind of get to the root cause of why skiing and snow sports broadly looks the way it does who skis and snowboards frequently um and like any other like any other structure in in the united states in the world in 2023 the systems that we build like they're connected to our history 
So there's a reason that there aren't that many black, brown and indigenous people on the hill recreating. Um, there's a reason that there aren't that many queer people who feel safe to participate in extreme sports. Like there's a legacy that extends into the present. So our goal is to like counteract that that legacy. And to me, that's kind of the concept of equity in a nutshell. And like equity is like the hottest buzzword, uh, buzzword of the 2020s. But I think that in its simplest form, the meaning of equity is like history has an impact on the present. So if we don't proactively work to combat that history to transform the present, it's just going to continue to be a reflection of it. Um, so to me, like open slopes as a mission won't be over until you can go to Mount Hood or like really any mountain and uh, not distinguish like one particular group that has more agency in that space, not be able to look and say like, oh, this is mostly white dudes in this space. Um, so yeah, I think like one thing we're super proud of that we have kind of reflected on is that Open Slopes has, a community is built around it, right? Like there are three organizers. And when I talk about Open Slopes, sometimes I'm talking about like the, the things that the three of us do, but what Open Slopes really is now is like a community that is way bigger than just the events that we put on. People who are part of that community have organized their own forums for communication and whatnot. And when you go up to the mountain, like there's always a noticeable presence of queer and BIPOC people at Mount Hood now. And it's not, you know, like, it's not like a 50-50 kind of thing, but there's a growing number of underrepresented people in the Mount Hood snow sports community. So to me, that's like, we're doing what we're, what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that stuff is important. I think you're spot on. I, I, the, the history has been very white, straight, whether it's male or female, that that's what the participants have looked like for that, since the beginning of skiing. Like I live in, I grew up in Springfield, right? Springfield mass is a very diverse, low income place and every time i would talk to one of my friends about like oh like let's go skiing they'd be like skiing's a white guy sport right yeah like that's what white guys do it's skiing and golf right they ski in the winter and they golf in the summer and that's that's kind of the stigma that has been put on everyone for or put on the sport for a long time and for a long time i think the industry has been very okay with it but we're starting to see that change a little bit and i do think that change is going to take a long time, but I think more of this kind of stuff is what helps that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that those, like that stigma didn't just arrive, you know, people, I think sure. a lot of the people who are kind of like naysayers toward equity and like diversity by intention in snow sports are often kind of like, you know, their, their, their perspective comes from, the recent past and just not seeing any overt barriers to people. But like 60 years ago, there were segregated ski areas in the United States. 80 years ago, most of the ski areas in the United States were segregated. Um, and a lot of the history of our sport, like on a commercial sense, really comes from like, like literal Nazis, not, not being like, not being <laughs> hyperbolic, but like the Nazi party of Germany. Um, yeah. When you start to trace like some of the the money that came into outerwear and snow sports, as well as the technology, like our history is pretty, pretty rough um, as far as, yeah, like white supremacist ideals and kind of like creating an intentional culture of exclusion. Um, so I would I would love to continue to see like brands and people kind of stepping up to undo that work. Yeah. Let me ask you and. 
first, I know you're not like the representative for anyone, but let, let me ask you what brands can do better in your eyes to kind of align themselves in a more supportive, inclusive way without being so performative? Because there is a lot of that where you, and you see it with, with big brands often now, where they just, they throw up a, a pride symbol and they decide like, okay, this is, this is what we are now, right? And take no action behind it. And no one actually cares. It's just a new way to have a cash grab. So in your mind, what is the proper way for a brand to kind of align themselves as an ally, as opposed to just being like looking for a new revenue stream? Yeah, uh, I love this question. And also like, we're recording this on July 5th. So I've just spent the past like 35 days with a migraine of like dealing with like pride <laughs> is cool, but also like the, the, in being like one of not a bunch of like out queer people that are kind of in like the professional ski space, there's like, like I've had, I've had conversations with a lot of people and some of them have been trickier and some of them have been like with people that work at brands about these kind of issues. And yeah, like, I think that, I think that most, most ski companies are run by people who have really good intentions because they love snow sports and they want to continue to foster like snow sports cultures because they connect with snow sports. So like, why shouldn't everybody be able to like most of the people I talk to that are part of a snow sports brand or like a marketing team or create uh, art or media around snow sports broadly want people to be able to ski and snowboard and support anything that, that supports that. Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to like pride content and how brands engage in that, I think it's really important to recognize that like queer people don't like flags and stickers, like rainbow flags and stickers are so nice. It's cool. It's rad. Like it's nice to see that kind of like visual welcome to be like, Oh, I'm a queer person. These people are like overtly cool with queer people. That's rad. But it's like, it's not the barrier between us being safe and like systemically healthy and protected in this country like um there are like over 650 anti-trans bills in in our legislation right now so when a brand engages with like an influencer solely for the purpose of you know like this person's gay they're doing something that's like a gay party like let's let's pay for their gay party and put our logo on it to me that just kind of says like okay what you're interested in is making money off of queer people not supporting mm. us. So for a brand to do something that I actually feel like is like a, a legitimate act of allyship um, and like an equitable step towards queer inclusion in the snow sports industry, to me, they have to like elevate and amplify a voice um, that is calling for an action. Um, you know, whether that be to create legislation that helps protect people or to divest from, from politicians. Like there are lots of ski resorts that are actively supporting, like financially supporting homophobic and transphobic political candidates. Um, some of them are incumbent candidates. So if a brand really wants to like do something right to me, they have to like back an action, not just like a person or like a, a, a spokesperson. Um, and frankly, like June is just a month of the year. And I think that people get like people on both sides, like queer people and people who are like 
opposed to queer people get sick of pride just because it's kind of like a nonstop show of like rainbows, 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 rainbows. And I get that that can be frustrating. And I think like a, a broader solution to that is like to look at not just like what queer people need to feel like they can like check the box of like, you're a good brand come June, but like yeah. year round, like if you're a brand that is generating revenue that, you know, like if you're in the green and you're not actively working to make snow sports better for anybody who's out of the the bubble, you know, whether that's the LGBTQ community, um, disabled people, uh, people of color, like anybody, um, then like, why are you like, it, it just feels like an un, an, a non-genuine engagement in snow sports because the more people participate in this thing, the more not only you can sell, but the the more solidified like our culture is and the less vulnerable we are, the less likely you're going to be to have to lay off employers in five years if your company's doing well now, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess those are kind of the two things is like one, back issues, back transformative experiences, don't just back celebrities and parties. And two, like make a point of if you really care about about queer people or any disenfranchised people, like incorporate that into your company's year round goals. Don't make it like a calendar item, make it a mission statement. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like these brands are doing it so that they don't get canceled on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like they they just do these things so that they can like basically just go shut the fuck up. Like we did it shut like they just want to leave it at step one and they don't go anywhere further with it and i think the ski industry has done an okay job at making sure that you know they do more than just that but i think there's definitely still work to be done like without a doubt yeah totally i also sometimes it kind of bums me out that pride is in june just as like a snow sports person because i think that um you know like there's kind of this this common trend of of ski resorts doing like a gay ski week or like an lgbtq ski week and i would love like i would love for there to be more emphasis on like i don't know just creating spaces for queer people to recreate together um and be outside in the mountains together and like share their experiences and meet other queer people and it's just unfortunate that that doesn't happen that much in june in snow sports because there aren't that many mountains open in june um but yeah it could definitely be it could be better and snow sports probably more so than a lot of other sports industries is like takes it pretty seriously yeah for sure yeah i i think having the having a month is great but i i kind of see i i can see it getting a little bit exhausting right because if everybody's like oh i have this one queer friend you're just going to ask them all the questions that you have and they become your queer representative for every, I just talked to Mallory Duncan about this, like, cause we were talking about 2020 and like how everyone, like everyone around him was just like, the, it was the one black skier that they knew. Right. So he's, they're just asking him like, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? And he's like, dude, I'm not the fucking like Lord of the black people here. Like I'm not the only guy that you could go ask. I'm not, there's plenty of people. There's other things that you can do. It is not my responsibility to feed you all of the information that I have always. Right. I think it's a, it's a conversation that needs to be had. And if you're willing, great, but it, you're also right. You want to help, but you're also like taking so much from these people that are just looking for support. Totally. 
Yeah, you know, there's like, there's this one percent of truth from all the people who like every time, uh, you know, like a brand posts something about like doing equity work or like Black Lives Matter or or queer inclusion. Um, like one percent of me agrees with all those haters in the comments, which is like, I am tired of particularly brands, people too, but mostly mostly corporations, um, sensationalizing people's identities for the sake of like being totally correct in the moment. And I heard that, right. like I heard that from a lot of people of color who are in snow sports. It's like, yeah, I got a bunch of clients in 2020. Like I got a bunch of money, people were reaching out to me and then like it all vanished by 2022 because like BLM was over as far as like, what corporations choose to sensationalize in that moment. And I would so much rather see these companies like post, like post a black square or whatever, post a rainbow pride flag. Like that's fine. But like lean into, lean into creating systems, you know, try to create something that like, isn't just for the moment. And like that will, that will bring the respect and also the business of underrepresented people in that space. Like if you can create systems, one thing I've been like plugging forever is that I want a brand in Portland to sponsor like a dry slope terrain park. That's like a public community park in our city so that people can learn how to ski and like something that simple, you know, like that might not seem like a lot. It might even seem like a profit motive, but like if you create cost reduced barriers for people who are like historically cost prohibited from participating in snow sports, that's creating like a future for those people that they can be part of snow sports, not just like an opportunity for them to pat themselves on the back for being part of an identity that's like sensational in that moment. In your eyes, what what is the biggest issue, if you could pinpoint one, because I think there's a few that kind of go hand in hand, when it comes to inclusivity, when it comes to bringing new people in to the sport, what is that what is that barrier and how do we kind of work through that a little more right is it cost is it like is it seeing other people like you on the hill is it feeling like you're included like what is that issue in your mind because i think cost is the one that gets hammered on so hard right it's expensive it's expensive it's expensive but like that's assuming that everybody that is queer like black like anybody doesn't have the money like it's just assuming that they don't have the money to go into the sport and that's why they're not doing it right so i think that avenue for me is a little presumptuous and yes is it expensive no fucking shit it's expensive like we all know this we just talked about it like it's like i'm poor i have enough gear in my house to buy a house it is like that's how it goes it's an expensive sport it's it doesn't pay a lot to be in this industry everything is there's a lot that goes into it so I guess my question is just what what is the biggest issue when it comes to inclusivity overall for you when it presents yeah. the snow sports? Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's it, it can be a little bit of a tricky question because I, I agree with you that um, cost is like a probably the broadest sweeping issue you know the reason that there aren't billions of people who recreate uh, in on skis and snowboards um as opposed to like tens of millions or hundreds of millions or whatever it is yeah. there's like that factor for sure and i think that that is a major factor and also 
it's one that is pretty intrinsic to like our current economic system. And mm -hmm. I think that people are looking for more immediate solutions. And also like there are a lot of other issues that even within our current, like the way that we live in capitalism and like in the US and like uh, in our political system, there, there are more immediate ways to connect with people. I think that like Cost barriers aside, I would say probably the the most poignant issue that people experience is just not feeling, it's not even like a personal sensation, but like materially not having a community to connect with. And honestly, like, I think a lot of that really does include cost in it. I had this conversation on the internet recently with someone. I'm occasionally a keyboard warrior. I try not to be. I know it's against <laughs> my self-interest, but like... It just fucking happens sometimes. Sometimes I just see something that's I'm like, with you. I'm I cannot with you. Not respond to this. Um, <laughs> and it's you. always a waste of my energy. But I saw somebody who basically like, I made a TikTok about wanting the space to be like, about not gatekeeping and skiing because I want it to be for more people. Somebody responded being like, my setup was only $200 and it lasted me for six years. So like, how is there gatekeeping? And the first thing that I just had to respond was like, no, it wasn't like your setup wasn't $200. Even if you physically only paid $200 for what you're doing, the reason you're able to do that is because you're connected to a, con a community of people that have a wealth of resources. And like, I, I give away skis every year. Like I, there's at least one pair of my skis every year that I do not charge somebody money for. I just get rid of. And that's because I've been enculturated into a space where I get skis for free. And then that person is getting skis for free because they're part of that community as well. Like the, I think that the biggest thing is that connection to like a network and a real community of people who support you is a privilege and it's a material privilege that reduces barriers. It's, it's how you can get a ride up to the mountain. If you don't have a car, it's how you can know how to navigate backcountry terrain safely. If you don't have an Abbey one course, it's, you know, like how to get gear if you don't have the gear. Um, and you can't really build community without people. So like a lot of it to me is just physically getting people who aren't a part of that space there. Um, and I think that initially that usually is a cost. It's not even necessarily a cost barrier, but it's like, you know, how do you make this worthwhile to someone who's about to spend like $300 to go rent a setup and go up to a ski area for a day? Um, so yeah, I think that like the biggest problem is probably a lack of community as far as people who are marginalized being able to connect with each other in those spaces. And I think that the biggest solution is like, as individuals, the biggest solution that we can take is just to be a, like a real ambassador to our sport. Like when's the last time, and this is me talking to the audience here, but like, when's the last <laughs> time you taught someone how to ski or snowboard? You know, like when's yeah. the last time you, a skier, took someone out for the first time because they were interested? Um, right. Yeah. And then on like a brand level, it's like creating scholarships, creating funds, distributing funds to organizations whose aim is to get people out on the hill. Um, but yeah, community, I would say is a big one. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's I think it's community and deeper into the community aspect. I think it you kind of hit on it. It's the it's the education, right? Like you don't even know what's what you don't know how much something costs, how much it can cost, because for a lot of people, if they decide to make that leap and they don't have any friends that do it, or they just they have one friend that does it and they want to get into it, whatever, and they go into a ski shop for the first time and they're not even sure they're going to like skiing and they go and they're like sticker shock because it's $700. You want to get a basic 
package, right? And for some shops, that's super cheap to buy everything. And that's that's crazy to me to go and expect that people would go, all right, I don't know if I even like this thing. Let me go drop a G for my first ski experience. Like it's just, totally. it's the way that the sport is set up that, that makes it really, really difficult. And there's a lot of places that have started, like Jiminy Peak does a really, it's this tiny little hill um, up in like the Berkshires and Mass. Does this, like they do a learn to ski month, right? Where you can yeah. basically get like a no cost rental. They'll take you out on the bunny slope and they'll just teach you how to ski. Like that kind of stuff actually works really well to just get anybody out there. And like, I don't know, I've had a ton of friends that have never, like not, not even people from the US, they have either immigrated here, or they're here for a long-term visit or whatever. And they just decide to go skiing because it's winter and it sucks ass if you're not doing anything else. And they're like, sure. they're not going to go and spend the money to go do these things unless it, the cost aspect of it makes sense. Right. And I think getting that education out there that programs like that do exist is really important. Yeah. And they're like they're, those little things, like it's funny how, it's always the little mom and pop resorts that come up with like some random program. That's actually like the most radical thing ever. Um, like Mount Baker in Washington, their beginner lift is just free. You just don't have to pay for a ticket to use their beginner lift. And like, in my mind, it's like, why doesn't every single ski resort do that? Because on one hand you can have a family who decides to go out for the first time, you know, a mom, dad, two kids, those people just paid a thousand dollars or like minimum $800 to go ski, you know, over a thousand if they don't live where they're skiing. Um, and if, you know, if they had a bad time, they're going to connect that expense to like not having a good experience, but if they can go somewhere and like, you know, try it for free, kind of get used to it before investing, then you're going to make someone like both a committed customer forever. And just like a, a member of the snow sports community, who's had the opportunity to like try it. And right. I think that that's pretty, pretty essential. Like I didn't try surfing until, or like I, I tried surfing before I bought a surfboard, you know, I I've been skiing yeah. since I'm a little kid, so I don't have that frame. But like if I had, I wouldn't have spent the $600 on surfing equipment if I hadn't gone surfing and knew that I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's super important for people to go out there and, and that they feel good about what they're doing. Cause skiing's hard. It's hard to figure out. It's totally unnatural for like what your yeah. body wants to do. It does, especially like skiing and snowboarding, they're both extremely difficult to just go out and try. So if you're spending a bunch of money, it's really easy to go and associate that first time with a bad experience, right? Because you're already frustrated. You spent more money that you wanted to do. And then you go out there and you're eating shit the whole time. And then like you see everybody else ripping right by it's It's difficult to go and make that, make that jump into being like, this is actually what I want to do with my time. This is actually a thing that I want to commit to. And we, like I've worked in a ski shop since I was four. You know, and mm-hmm. one of the things that we've always tried to do is make sure that people have a good experience. Like you want people to leave happy and feel like they're welcome, because if they don't do that, you're like one of their first touch points to the sport in general. And it's less about less about skiing and more about them, like feeling like they could be part of this community if at some point they decided they wanted to be. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like that, you know, that first time skiing, like that's a huge place where that community step in addition to the cost barrier becomes important. Cause like 
yeah, your first time skiing is going to suck. Like, sorry, but it's not going to be fun as far as like, like you're going to fall. I mean, you might have fun, but you're going to fall. It's going to (laughs) be cold. Like you're going to feel awkward as hell. So it's like really powerful to be in a space where like you can have camaraderie in that. And I find like open slopes events. One of the things that I feel like is kind of the biggest success of our events is that we get return participation from people. Like, and we, we follow up with people and ask if they're still skiing or snowboarding pretty much every time. Um, and a lot of people do. And a lot of it's like, yeah, I went out with this group of people who I went with the very first time I ever went. None of us knew what we were doing. None of us can teach each other, but like we can enjoy the experience together and not make each other feel like bad or less or like diminished in any way because of their novice in that space. So Mm -hmm. that's really cool too, to like have community that supports growth in, and rather than like, you know, like that, the, the culture that I think is also kind of like vanishing, but still present in snow sports, which is like the, like, just drop in and do the trick pussy kind of vibes. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of rhetoric in snow sports. That's more like negative and pressure than like positive and and growth oriented. Um, So I think that that can really help to transform that space as well. I see that less and less though, which is cool. Yeah. You see it less and less on the Hill. I think on the internet, you see it all the time and that's one of the many problems i think with social media is like you go and you watch these people do things and everybody's a keyboard warrior and they're so quick to point out someone else's flaws on the internet like anytime we have a video go viral we're like you go through the comments and it's somebody being like oh i could have done that way better and like (laughs) it's like first of all you probably fucking can't you know what i mean like that's like it's a stupid fucking thing to comment it literally (laughs) is just people going out there and trying to like big dick their way into a fucking comment section for absolutely no fucking reason. And I'm never going to, those are the comments actually that get under my skin pretty easily. And I don't know what it is, but it's just like, it's just people being twerps. Like it's just people being like little fucking shits and they just want to do like, they just want people to pay attention to them and think that they're cool it's not i don't think it's always malicious it's just like a really dumb dorky thing to do yeah well and it kind of it's one of those like cultural things that remakes itself right where like when you have a culture where like if there when you have a snow sports culture where like skill is not skill and elitism isn't the end all be all of like social capital in that space and where there's values that go beyond how good you are or how courageous or like ignorant you are in a lot of situations. Um, when like, when that's not the cultural ideal, you don't get that kind of rhetoric because like people aren't, people are into supporting each other and like are focused on that. And you know, that comment will probably look something like, I hope that I can do this one day. And then somebody's going to respond with like a really useful tip or whatever. But then, yeah, it can go the other way too, where it creates like a negative feedback loop of like, you know, people, and I think a lot of it is like basically kids, like teenagers figuring out how to, how to be a person, how to exist in, in conflict with other people, et cetera. But it can really remake its own, like the negative aspects of snow sports culture kind of strengthen themselves, especially in those internet echo chambers um, of like, yeah. I'm better than you. Like skiing is about elitism. It makes it feel more hostile for everybody. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think that, like any group of skiers is ubiquitously like good or bad across the board, but 
the past two years, I have been super lucky to be able to spend a lot of time skiing with like some of the best skiers in the world. And, um, they don't care how good people are at skiing. Like every at single, yeah, every single all. one that I've talked to, like their goal is to do what they like to do. They never brag about what they're doing or like challenge other people. They're always just stoking other people out on what they do. Like your favorite skier doesn't care whether or not you're good at skiing. They just want you to be having a good time. Um, and I think that that's like maybe something that I wish that some of the kind of role model skiers in, in our, in our community would be a little bit more like vocal about, um, to their followers is just like focus on the fun and the joy in the community and not the, the like elite athlete narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a really, it's an important thing. And I think to that point, you're right. Like every, every professional skier that I've ever spent time with or ski, like, they don't give a shit about showing people how good they are. Like it's not, totally. especially on like a regular day, it's just not what they're interested in doing. They're there to hype people up. They're there to make people feel good about what they're doing. And I'm sure at one point they had that too. They had somebody like in their corner that was like, you're doing a good job. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. Positive reinforcement's huge. That's the other thing like on an individual level that I think can really impact the quality of our snow sports community is like, I don't know. I, I think For like sure. I grew up as a person who like I was, you know, I, I thought that I was a cis man. I thought that I was straight. I am white um, and I am from like a ski town and a middle class background. And I had so much positive reinforcement learning how to ski. Like so many people told me I was good at what I was doing before I was even good at what I was doing, um, <laughs> you know, and like I think based on the discussions I've had with a lot of people whose upbringings were like super different than mine that is not something that a lot of people get historically when they enter a sport, specifically like people who aren't men or like assigned male at birth or whatever. Um, I think like there's a lot of, a lot less positive reinforcement and a lot less positive feedback telling people that they can do something. And I think it makes a difference both on how much fun you have and on how uh, like your threshold for what you can grow and achieve to uh, whatever your goals are. But yeah, um, I really think it's powerful to like, support people and and you know just because somebody somebody's trick isn't as good as your trick like give them props for doing it better than they did it the last time not yeah. admonish them for doing it worse than you you know yeah i think the the emphasis on having fun is a really important thing and it sounds really cliche and plain and whatever but i think going out there and having a good time and just going skiing is a really important part it's it's why a lot of us do what we do right like go skiing because it's fun and you want to connect with your people and you want to explore the mountain you want to be in nature whatever right this all goes into the same basket and i think pushing that that like fun envelope on people is really good sometimes for people to just be like okay it's not all that serious it's a really simple thing like we're just going to go out there and we're going to see what happens yeah for real one of um one of the open slopes co-founders slash organizers slash my partner dallas um <laughs> is uh has developed this idea for an open slopes event next year that we're going to do that i'm super stoked on and our goal is to like throw a rail jam but not as like a best skier on the rails competition like we're going to come up with a bunch of competition criteria that's like you know ranges from like the most stoke or like the most dedication to like silly, uh, silly categories, you know, like best dressed, like silliest trick kind of things. And the whole goal is to be 
like to create an event that gives people that opportunity to like express themselves that competition often does, but not in the name of like, not in the name of the standards that we typically defer to when we're talking about like, what is the most important thing skiing just to come up with like, are you familiar with the Orage masters? Yeah. Like something, you know, as I think we're aiming for something much more like inclusivity oriented and specifically tailored toward like marginalized people in this space, but like similar vibes of like, who cares how good, how many flips you can do, like do something silly, you know, like do it, do a big train, do a group jump, like have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. that. I think it makes sense. I think stuff like that should come naturally in skiing, but it doesn't all the time. And sometimes people have to work a little harder to make sure that that stuff exists and, and that's important. So. Yeah. Let me let me kind of switch gears a little bit on you. Um, For sure. Kind of one of the last things I ask you about, but let me kind of dive into you a little bit more. How how did you decide that the ski industry was a thing that you actually wanted to actively participate in, be involved in, and take up some space in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think so. I I've been skiing my whole life. Um, I was a competitive mogul skier when I was like early in high school, switched into terrain park. 18 year old me was like, I'm going to be a pro park skier. I moved to Summit County. I was like skiing freeway at Breckenridge every single day and just having like a miserable time, honestly, like getting hurt and not having avenues for like people to tell me that it's going to be okay. Um, like having roommates who well-intentioned good people, but like, 24 25 year old roommates that would go out and drink and i'm like an 18 year old trying to figure out like how to live not at my parents house kind of vibes yeah. um and yeah just felt like really negative about the whole thing ended up having some really major injuries and being like i need to leave this space because i don't feel like it's going to lead to anything good for me so i like got out of skiing um traveled went to school worked a bunch like just did other like regular people things um and focused on kind of like just broadening my horizons but have like i've always just loved the actual act of skiing so much and could never leave that alone you know like i found myself kind of increasingly making a priority of of getting out into the backcountry while i was in classes and like went from not skiing at all for like two full seasons to kind of skiing every opportunity i could and then graduated school and moved up here with the intent also of skiing a lot. And um, I guess I kind of really connected with like two things at once, which was I got back into competition and started doing free ride competitions. And that space felt like super cool to be able to express myself differently on a mountain than I had in the park. And rather than kind of focusing on like the eight or 10 tricks that everybody was trying to do in the park, really like being able to pursue it my own way. And then um, I shot Maritime Air. I was on an Out of Bounds podcast that pretty much just talked about Maritime Air. But giving myself an opportunity to kind of like pursue a story that I wanted to tell in snow sports. And looking back on it, I feel, you know, probably like most people do when they create art. There's like a lot of things that I'm like, oh, that wasn't like, that's something that I've grown a lot from and I would do much differently now, but I still really like having that as a reference point of like, Oh, that was kind of the first thing I did that I really cared about what I was creating that combined snow sports and like music and, and filming and editing and all of the other different interests that I think kind of make that up. Um, and being in a space where 
I got to the point where I was like, okay, cool. Like I have some brands that are interested in supporting me. I've made things that I care about. I want to keep making things. I want to keep finding myself in spaces where I can push myself as a skier. Um, yeah, I don't know. It really just kind of lines me up to start to take that seriously. And as I have taken that seriously, it has become very apparent to me that there are things that I still really don't like about the snow sports community and industry. And I don't know, I don't want to be like the person who's kind of characterized as being like the curmudgeon of snow sports cultures. Like I love most of the people I ski with. I love most of the places I ski. Like it's, it's a fucking good time. It's great. I love it. But I think that, yeah, I don't know. It, it really ultimately like, I would like to kind of dually pursue my own want to like ski as well as I can and do things that I care about and share the stories that I want to as a skier. And then also to like, if I can leave snow sports like a little bit more easy to get into and fun than it started, that would be like a win for me for my like snow sports career or whatever. I'll be doing this for the rest of my life, but like, that's my goal is just to like continue to do what I care about creatively and athletically. And also to like, hopefully make it a little bit easier for other people to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You bring up like worrying about being the curmudgeon or whatever. Like I'm in the same boat. Like all the time I feel like I'm just like complaining about shit that I don't like, or like telling people that this is fucking bullshit or this is dumb and this is dumb. And I'm like, I must sound like to someone who doesn't know me at all. I must sound like a fucking asshole. Like I, I don't know, but I don't know how to not say those things. I don't know how to not, voice my opinions for things that I find difficult and challenging in this industry because yeah I, I'm with you there's so many people that I love so much in the sport that I enjoy skiing with and obviously I enjoy skiing too but sometimes you just find you look back and you just find yourself exhausted at yourself like you're just exhausted at everything going around but like it's your own inside your own like feeling like you have to say something every time that really will fucking tire you out yeah for real and yeah my like my mantra or like something that i've just been like really committed to in the past like six months that i'm getting better at but like something i've been kind of intentional about is like rather than going into those spaces and like using my energy in ways that feel a lot of times like reductive or like yeah kind of like you're just fighting against a wall, you know, like you're arguing for something better with people that aren't hearing you or like people are, you're worried about being typecast as like a, a curmudgeon or a naysayer in that space when, when you really just want to like positively impact it. I've been trying to like use less of my energy on the negative aspects and on, and more of it on like creating, creating like systems, institutions, films whatever that that reflect more of the positive so i'm getting better at it and i definitely still like occasionally can't not engage in some stupid instagram fight that i regret doing but um yeah i think like broadly like one thing i did with the film that i worked on this year was like i really kind of thought about like for my interview segments like okay what do i really want to share with people who might see this film who aren't skiers and like that to me is like I probably did more positive work there than I've ever done arguing in a comment section on Instagram. And it was a lot more like energizing and easy. So that's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do right now, personally. Yeah. It's like be less of a curmudgeon and more of like an ideas guy. Yeah. Yeah. Put the energy in the right places. Totally. 
yeah, it's uh, it's easier said than done sometimes, and and I'm with you. I think that's a that's a thing that I actively work on like all the time. But it's a uh, it's it's tough some days. Yeah, one of my big hopes is like that I can um, I really like to use the film like template in skiing to not just like tell documentary type stories about our goals like that's cool and i think that a lot of people do that and i think it's really important but i really want to make like interesting and creative reflections of what i'd like to see the future of snow sports to look like and that's kind of where my focus has been lately is like i want to make i think like film is kind of the the space that i'm most excited about making those positive changes in addition to like the the organizational work that i do yeah for sure well, I hope that I hope that happens. I think I think you're in a good place right now where you can actually make some changes and people are listening to what you have to say. And I think I think that's all good. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, last thing, where can people find you? Where can people find more about Open Slopes? Like what what is the best way for people to get at you if they have questions, they have comments, they have things that they want to talk about with you or whatever? Where do people get you? Totally. Um, open slopes, like just email us. If you have ideas, follow us at open slopes, PDX on Instagram. Um, if that sounds like a community that you want to be a part of, like if you're a queer black, brown or indigenous person or some combination thereof, and you want to like meet more people that are like you in snow sports, hit us up on our Instagram page. We have like a community Slack page that is super active. I think we have like over 200 members now. So that's yeah. kind of like, a cool resource for folks um, if you're interested in getting in touch with that. As far as um, what I'm doing, I mean, I'm Hank.ski on all the social media stuff. Um, I have a segment in a, in a film that's coming out this fall. It's called People Like Us. It's about queer skiers uh, who are from rural parts of North America. And I'm super excited about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, you can probably just catch me at Mount Hood, honestly. like. <laughs> If there's new snow or not, I'll probably be there anyway. Awesome. Thank yeah. you, Hank. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I love you guys, and I love what you do. Um, looking forward to talking to you more, but thanks for today. It was great.